want to move back a little bit there, just a little drop, and uh, make sure the thing is centered up. There, now I'm happy. So I want to talk to you on a subject that, uh, funny enough, Rachel decided to uh, mention during her praise. And so Wells won yesterday. Yeah, we would call that a victory. Yeah, that's a victory. And I think it's timely. I think it's actually uh, uh, quite awesome that there was a, uh, that they, I, I like how they won, you know, I mean, you know, the, the first half was a little different, I'll, I'll say, I'm not going to say anything negative, anything about it, but buddy, that second half, man, was just, it was just a dogfight, and they wore them down, and uh, uh, they were the tougher team, they, they, they uh, I, I like to use words like beat them senseless, they beat them down, um, you know, when Rob was uh, coaching for Cardiff, I'd send them messages before they got ready to play, and I'd say, tell the boys to run hard, bust heads, and that's how I was taught uh, to play the game. When I played uh, American football, my dad raised me up, run hard, bust heads. Uh, the person that hits the hardest is usually going to win, and you set the tone from the beginning of the game. I had a coach in my sophomore year in college. Uh, we were getting ready to play this particular team up in the Delta, and um, he said, I don't care what the play is. I don't care where the ball goes. I don't care what happens. All I want you to do is hit the guy that's in front of you as hard as you can. Hit him so hard that you see snot bubbles, okay? And I said, okay, coach, that's what I'm going to do. And that's exactly what I did. And you set the tone for the rest of the game. Because at the end of the day, guys, we are looking to have victory. Now, we're looking yesterday. We wanted to, we wanted to win. We wanted to, to win the match. But every single day, guys, we would like, and I would say love to, if you will, have victory in our life. And we can, guys, we can. Now, we're going to be coming out of Joshua 17 here in just a little bit. I'm just telling you that for those of you who follow along uh, in your Bible. But we're going to be looking at, at, at the Old Testament again. And I, I realized um, as I was working through this sermon for today that we spent quite a bit of, in the Old Testament, quite a bit of time over the past several months. But it's, what we're going to look at is an Old Testament truth for a New Testament lesson, a New Testament lesson. Now, the Bible teaches on this principle, speaking of victory speaking of this principle that we're going to look at here in just a little bit uh, through the words of the mighty apostle paul he says there in first corinthians in chapter 10 verses 1 through 6 in the first part of 6 says moreover brethren i would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat that same spiritual meat now watch this and they did drink that same spiritual rock, for they drank of that spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them. And that rock, capital R, was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. So one of the reasons we look at the Old Testament in many ways is not just for historical facts and uh, illustrations, but they're there for examples in our life. And you can see there, as, as he's speaking about those going through the Exodus, the, the Israel traveling through those 40 years, that there was a spiritual rock. The rock was Christ Jesus, okay? Jesus Christ was not just a man who lived 33 and a half years, uh, you know, in the front end of, uh, of what we call, you know, A.D., Daniel's Dumb and I, or the year of our Lord. Jesus Christ always has been, always is, always will be the Son of God is who he is. So these examples in the Scripture, they're there for our learning. And the reality is, is uh, and I think we've all, you know, I think as of late, Denise and I have talked about this uh, more than, than we probably have in 20-some-odd years, but but the reality is, you know, you can learn something from anyone, 
okay? And let's just be honest. There's positive examples in our life as well as negatives, okay? Uh, there are people that come into our lives that we can learn from uh, in many ways. We can learn what to do from many people, and we can learn what not to do from other people. Uh, this is true in the Old Testament. We can learn what to do just as much as we can learn what not to do when we begin to break down these biblical principles. So we, we see many examples that, that follow from the book of Joshua. I love the book of Joshua. I love Joshua as an individual. Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies that came back after just under two years of coming out of Egypt. They spied out the land, and they said, let's go get it. It's ours. Why? Because they were trusted in what God had said. That's your land. So they said, go in there and spy the land. Uh, Twelve of them went in there. Ten came back with an evil report. Oh, man, we were grasshoppers in their sights. There's giants in the land. It sure is a land that flows with the milk and honey. But, man, we were just grasshoppers in the sights of those giants that lived there. The sons of Anak are there. Joshua and Caleb are over there going, come on, big boy. I don't care. God's given us the land. Let's just go. And they spent another 38 years, 40 years in the wilderness with everyone uh, uh, over the age of 20, except for Joshua and Caleb, dying off, never going to the promised land, just because those 10 came back with a weak little report that did not trust God. But Joshua and Caleb were there. I love Joshua. I love the example that he gives us. And I believe throughout the book of Joshua, we see it as a book of victory. Now, guys, if I was just to ask everybody this question, and again, this is borderline rhetorical. It's not requiring you to make a response. But most people in here tonight probably would agree with me that we need some victory, don't we? We need some victory in our days. We need some victory in our life. Uh, and, and, and this is what we are finding. Again, this, this book of Joshua has some beautiful pictures. It contains a beautiful picture of the, the victorious Christian life. I want to live in victory. Several years back, I taught a class a Wednesday morning, I believe it was, Bible study in the Cunning Valley campus. You can find it on the Church One app if you wanted to. It was titled, How to Study the Bible. And there are three questions that you have to ask yourselves while it's reading and studying your Bible. Number one, you have to ask yourself, what did it mean then? Don't make it mean anything more or less than it says, okay? It means what it says and says what it means. That's the simple truth of the Holy Scripture. It means what it says and says what it means. Number two, how does it apply now? How does it apply to now? And number three, how does it apply to me personally? Personally. You see, the children of Israel have gone into the promised land. And that promised land represents the fullness and faithfulness of what we are calling that victory tonight. That promised land for the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt, being slaves for 400 years and not, you know, just being a bondservant. No one alive knew what freedom meant. All they did was hear stories of what it used to be like and what it's supposed to be like. But in the middle, they knew nothing. So that promised land to them, that was the ultimate victory. That was the fullness and the faithfulness of victory. It is a picture tonight of, the, of, of, the, of living a, a victorious Christian life for us. Now, as Bible-believing Christians, guys, we should be living a victorious life. I mean, we should be living a full and fruitful life of victory in the days that we are living today. That, that is not to say that we're going to live a life that is problem-free. It doesn't mean that we're going to live a life that is without struggles. It doesn't mean that we're going to live a life that has no darkness in it. I believe that those problems, struggles, and darkness, those valleys in our life, are what make the high points greater. and It's what, it, what makes victory really mean victory. Imagine this, since we're using the 
the match yesterday as an example already on, or I'm using it. Imagine with me now, the boys would have went out there. If they would have gone out there yesterday and England would just lay down. And, and as the clock went on for all for 80 minutes, what if they just laid down? Every single time they laid down. Now, at the end of the time, when, it, when the clock expired, it'd probably be, you know, 1,400 to nothing, okay? But how good would you feel? You're like, what was that all about? It's kind of like a team forfeiting or not showing up, and you still get the W on your schedule. But, yeah, you're really like, yeah, we really didn't win anything. Dudes just didn't show up. See, the ups and downs and the darkness and the struggles and the pains that we deal with each and every day of our life, moment by moment, that's what makes the victory a victory coming through. And you today can have the, the pains, you can have the struggles, you can go through the situations of life in general, and you can live a victorious life. You can't, but there's some things that we have to learn about, some things that we look here, if you will, in the life of the nation of Israel and that we see how it applies to them. So it leaves us this question, are we living a victorious life tonight? Now, guys, here's the deal as we get ready to go into those verses here in just a moment. The reality is, is everyone wants to be a winner, don't we? Everyone wants to be a winner. No one on this planet woke up this morning, rolled out of bed and said, oh, boy, I can't wait to lose today. I just am so looking forward to being a loser. Nobody did that. It doesn't happen. No matter who you are, no matter what your status is in life, Every time you open your eyes up and you take that breath into a new day, you are not looking to lose that day. We want to win. We want to progress. We want to advance. We want to be on the top side of the game. Yet the truth of the matter is this. It's really not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. That's the cold hard facts tonight. Which again comes back to this question, are you living a victorious life? Are you living the life that you desire are you willing to do what needs to be done to live victoriously so pick it up in joshua 17 as you'll see behind me tonight verses 12 and 13 the bible says yet the children of manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities but the canaanites would dwell in the land yet it came to pass when the children of israel were waxing strong that they put the canaanites to tribute but did not utterly drive them out there was no reason whatsoever under the sun they could not have driven the canaanites out they simply would not you know we want we 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 look at our life and we say how why am i struggling why am i swimming upstream why am i facing this why are all these things happening in my life sometimes they're happening as trials to make you stronger i get that sometimes they're happening because of what you have in your life already and god's saying i want you get i want you to get that out of your life such is the case here with Israel, the children of Manasseh. When they were strong enough, when they were waxing strong, they chose not to get the Canaanites out. And there's an issue. You know, the, there's Canaanites living in the land. What did that land represent? It represented faithfulness and fullness of, vic of victory. Yet they had Canaanites there. Canaanites were devil-possessed people. They, were, they represented the power of Satan. They were driven to keep Israel from living a full and fruitful, victorious life. And as we take that principle and apply it into our life, whatever Canaanite may be in your life that's there, it's there to hinder you, to hold you back from having that full and fruitful life. Did you know Galatians chapter 5 that gives us the fruit of the Spirit? Did you know the fruit of the Spirit would not be in the Bible? Mind you, there's nine fruit of the Spirit, amen? 
Those of you mothers, how long, how long does that baby stay in you? Nine months. Nine is the number of fruitfulness, amen. Most fruit-bearing missionary in the whole, uh, on the whole planet shows up in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. The most fruit-bearing king to ever exist shows up in the ninth book of the Bible. Nine is the number of fruitfulness. What point am I trying to make to you tonight? Is I'm, if the nine fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, they wouldn't be there if they weren't possible to be in your life. God is not going to put something that's out of your reach. He's not going to say, here's the fruit of the Spirit, dangle it before you, and watch you just jump and jump and jump and never reach them. But he's going to give you principle to apply in your life. To not only have the victory that you need in your life, that you desire in your life, but have that fruit of the Spirit. You know, the first few fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. That's the first few, all right? Guys, if you don't have love, joy, and peace in your life, as a matter of fact, I'm going to tap on this on Wednesday night. If you guys are watching the Crosspoint version of the midweek service, uh, I'm going to tap on this in, in a message that I hope is going to be the next, over the next three Wednesdays out of James chapter 4. But if you tonight are missing that love in your life, that fruit, that first fruit, if you're missing the, that, that joy, if you're missing that peace, you've got to step back. And not look at everyone else. And not look at the situation, the circumstances. But just take a step back and go, okay, why is it not here? What am I doing different? Where are the Canaanites that I'm holding on to that I need to drive out? God's children in the Old Testament here, they were keeping company with devil-possessed people. There are devil-possessed people uh, that were keeping and hindering the people of God from having that full and fruitful, victorious life. And yet when they had the opportunity to get rid of them, they put them to work as opposed to get rid of them. So there's three things that I want to bring to you, or your attention, I should say, today, that will enable you to live a victorious life. And that's what I want for every one of you guys. That's what I want for myself. I want to live a life of victory. I want to win. I don't like losing. I, I'm, a, I'm not a good loser. People say, well, you shouldn't be a sore loser. What, I want to be a happy loser? Yay. No, it wouldn't make any sense. And when I lose at something, it drives, me to, to, it drives me forward to do better the next time. I don't want to just settle. Yep, I'm going to be second best. That's not what I want to do. I want to win. And I want you to win. And I believe with these three principles tonight, as we apply them to Joshua 17 and take them and put them into our life, I think we can find how we can have that victory, a victorious life and, and what's hindering you to have it this evening. So the first thing that we're going to see that, that will hinder you to have this true victory in life, the first thing is going to be compromise, compromise. Uh, guys, compromise, uh, we, we teach young people today, well, you just need to compromise one with another. We teach, we, I've heard this in marital counseling, that, that, well, there needs to be a compromise in your marriage. And I'm going to say this, and don't throw a shoe at me or anything like that, just bear with me. There doesn't need to be a compromise, because there is a right way and there's a wrong way for both parties in a marriage to live and to act. And it doesn't require compromise. It requires you doing right here and you doing right here. Men, if you ain't doing right, strap up, strap up and do right. Ladies, if you ain't doing right, strap up and do right. It's not about compromise. Compromise got nothing to do with it. Compromise means that, well, we're still in an argument, but I'm, what's this old saying? Let's just agree to disagree. No, I'm not doing that, okay? And if I'm wrong, I need to be wrong. I need to man up, own up, correct it, and not go back there again, all right? Not compromise. Well, I'm just going to sit back and be wrong but make you happy about it. That does not build a happy marriage. And it's the same thing in our Christian life today. 
It's not about compromise. God's plan for his people was total and complete occupation of that promised land. Not to segment it, the whole kit and caboodle. Now, the size of that land was 300 miles wide from the mouth of the Nile to the mouth of the Euphrates. It took a 45-degree turn all the way up to Mount Ariat, another 200 miles, and then back down again another 200 miles from where it began. That's how big that land grant is. I know we look at Israel today, and it's a little sliver of land. When God comes back the second time, when he comes back to set that millennial kingdom up, it don't matter who's in the land. He's taking over. He's coming to rule in that. But his plan for his people was total and complete occupation. God said, drive them out of the land from border to border. Get rid of them. Joshua chapter 1, verse 11 tells us this. Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you victuals from within three days. Ye shall pass over uh, this Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. So I'm going to ask you this tonight. Does God have total and complete occupation of your life? Are you living a victorious life? Are you living in victory over the flesh, the world, the devil? Uh, as a Christian, when we look at typology in the Old Testament, if you look at the pattern that Israel followed for a thousand years, well, they were in what's called what, the, the type of Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world. Now, if you, if you, you don't get what I mean by that, um, tune in Wednesday night. You'll understand it fully. And I, I don't have time tonight to go into it nonetheless. But that word world is the same word we get the word cosmos from. And I'll explain that Wednesday night. Egypt's a picture of the world. God delivered them from the world. Then they go through the wilderness, and all of a sudden, because of a, an erroneous relationship over here in the book of Genesis, this nation called Moab, which is a picture of the flesh, all right, they fail there and the mistakes that happen in there. And then all of a sudden, we find out years and years and years later on, because Israel kept turning their back upon God, what ends up happening? They come under the occupation of Babylon, who is a picture of Satan. Those are those three enemies right there that, that attack us, that hinder us from living a victorious life. And so the question is, do we have victory over the flesh, over the world, over the devil tonight? As a Christian who is not living in victory, let me say this to you. A Christian not living in victory is an anomaly. It is unnatural. One of my favorite verses is in Romans chapter 8, that we are more than conquerors. We have t-shirts that says more than conquerors on it. More, the word conqueror was the greatest accolade that a warrior could ever receive in the days of the Apostle Paul when he penned that AD 58. Conqueror, conqueror was the top of the echelon. And he goes on and says, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. More, amen. Love it. I like winning. And you should too. But you're an anomaly tonight. If you're not living in victory, it's, it's something that is unnatural. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15 tells us in verse 57, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory. If we look in 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in, in Christ and maketh us manifest uh, the savor uh, of his knowledge by us in every place. Now, can, can, listen, can, can I say this to you this morning or this evening? There is but one alternative to victory, and that is defeat. Defeat. Coach Bear Bryant, who I've always believed to be the greatest coach who ever lived, and uh, now Nick Saban's probably the, either the second or best coach. Both of them coached our University of Alabama. I grew up under the teachings of Coach Bear Bryant via my dad. 
Well, Coach, back in the days when they allowed a tie, a draw, yeah? Can you have a tie? Can you have a tie in rugby here? I don't, I don't know. You can't have a tie? Well, you guys are not going to like what I'm getting ready to say, okay? Bear Bryant never would go for the tie. So, like, at the end of the game, if seconds were running out and, and he had a choice to either go for an extra point, uh, a two-point conversion, uh, as opposed to just kicking a field goal and tying it up, he'd always go for the two-point conversion, always. He'd take the loss before he would have tied. And this is his words. He said, a tie's, a, a tie's like kissing your, kissing your sister. It just shouldn't happen. <laughs> Guys, we're talking, the only alternative to victory is defeat. Victory is defined as an act of defeating an enemy or an opponent in a battle game or other competition. And this is where so many fall short today. This is where the children of Israel fell short. We just read the verses. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. That's a victorious Christian life right there. It's there. It's in print. It's inspired. It's preserved. It's purified. It is sat before us for all eternity. It is from the number one selling book of all time. That's where it is. So we are to have victory over the world. We are to have victory over the world. And I'm talking about a, a world system. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5 and verses 4 and 5, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, we are to have victory over the world. And when I say world, I mean this system. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach on it more on the Wednesday night, but that cosmos, that world system that is an enemy, if you will, of Jesus Christ. We're to have victory over the flesh, guys, over the flesh. Why do I say over the flesh? What does that mean? Uh, guys, the flesh is not to be coddled. It's not to be condoned or, or contributed to. The flesh is to be crucified, the Bible tells us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. We look at our little faults that are in our life. And guys, none of us are perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We're not going to reach a, a, a state of sinless perfection on this, on this planet. I understand that. But when we allow our faults, our little sins, we call them, to be sources of amusement or entertainment or even the butts of jokes, the spiritual instabilities in our life, the roller coaster emotions, the anger, the tempers, the lies, the deceit, the sorcery, the secrecy, the things that we allow to stay there, whatever it may be, the Bible tells us they are to be crucified. You know what that word crucified means? We understand what crucifixion is, but when he says crucified the flesh, it means to make dead. Necro is where it comes from, the Greek word. Make dead. You say, well, that's not kind. It's better. Beloved, we are to be growing if we are living. We had a guy in our first church years ago. This guy was as country as country. You, I mean, I can't even act like how country this guy was. Good guy, great guy, hard worker, loved Daniel. He, he was there when Daniel was first born. That was his little bubby. He kept calling him, and he would hold him, and, and uh he was an excavator. He was a real good guy. But like I said, he was, man, he was backwood country. We were dismissing on a Wednesday night and fellowshipping the little vestibule of our tiny building we were in. And, and I have no idea where this came from, but it has stuck with me. He said, preacher, 
If you're living, you ought to be growing. Anything that's not growing is dying. And he just walked out the door. I mean, it was just like, burp, there it went, and he left. And I, and I stood there going, that was profound. That guy probably didn't have an eighth grade education, and that was the most profound thing I had heard in my entire, it was so good. Anything living should be growing, and anything not living is dying, or not growing is dying. And, beloved, we need to be growing as Christians. If you want to live in victory, if you want to live in victory, you want a victory over the devil. You say, well, how in the world am I a victory over the devil? He's the second most powerful being in all the world. Well, James chapter 4, verse 7, something we are going to touch on in the weeks to come on Wednesday, says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, here's what we think in all of the five-point, the five and six and seven-point uh, uh, books that are being written of how to have victory and how to do this and how to make change. I, uh, one of my, one of my uh, challenges in, in the Counter 66 is to read one book a week and uh, that's 9.4 books over the 66 days, and that's what my goal is. I want to hit 10 by the time we're done with the 66 days. And, and I got this book because I liked the title. I thought I liked the author. I don't like the author anymore because the book is too wordy. Uh, it, 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 there, there's le- I know more than what the author knows. I'm just going to say that. And I, and I know that sounds cocky and arrogant, but it is so terrible. But the, it was flashy on the outside, man, and it had a great title. And I was like, this is awesome. And I'm like, Come on, come on. It was, it's anemic to say the least. But I'm saying all that. I'm trying to make a point here. We think we can go get the best-selling book, the next one that's out there. Actually, we got the best-selling book, the Bible. But we can go out there. We can grab this, this book that we can read in a couple hours. And that's how we're going to resist the devil. But that's not the formula God has given us. The Bible says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Full stop. That's the first, if we can't do this, and if we can't get past having victory over the world, the flesh, we're never going to get victory over the devil. That was Israel's fault. That was their problem. Many of their hearts are still in Egypt. God said, okay, you're going to spend the next 38 years uh, in the wilderness till all you people die off, and then we're going into the promised land. And then when he got to the promised land, they wouldn't get rid of the Canaanites that were there, and therefore they, 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 uh, they had these things floating around that hindered them having this full growth. And what's the end of the days? Guys, by the way, for 490 years, Israel forsook the seventh-year Sabbath. You see, God's plan was not just a seventh-day Sabbath, but God's plans for Israel was a seventh year. Now, I want you to imagine, Hannah, you work six years, six years, and then you get the whole seventh year off, and the 14th, and the 21st, and on you go. How would that be? Man, I'll take that any day. Are you kidding me? Any day. You wouldn't have to. There's no talking me into that. God said seventh year. I want you to let it lie. Don't work the land. I'm going to provide enough for you in six years. You're not going to have to work the seventh. They didn't listen. They worked that land. Fourteenth year rolled around, same thing. Twenty-first year rolled around, same thing. And on and on and on. For 490 years, they did that. God said, okay, time's up. Now you're going to go in under Babylon, that picture of Satan. Because you would not submit to me and be obedient, now you're not going to have victory over him. And so they, they were occupied. They ceased to be a nation in 586 B.C. They were not a nation again until the 15th of May, 1948 A.D. All because of this little thing right here. They decided to forsake God. They owed him 70 years. They owed him 70 sabbatical years. And they paid that. And after those 70 sabbatical years were paid back, then they were allowed to go back into the wilderness, go back into Jerusalem little by little. And God said, yeah, but here's the deal. You know, your heart wasn't right for 490. 
They paid 483 back. They still owe seven years. And that's a, what's known as the tribulation known as Daniel's 70th week. I'm saying all that, guys. The formula is right there. If you want victory over the devil, if you want victory in your life, if you want to live a, a victorious life, it's going to start with you submitting yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You're no match for the devil. I'm no match for the devil. He'll kick me around all day long. He'll kick me around on Sundays twice. I mean, he, I'm no match for him. But when I submit myself to God, that's a whole different story. Now he's got to deal with both of us. He's got to deal with God mainly, right? And the Bible tells us he'll flee. You believe the Bible. You believe John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You believe that, don't you? You believe that if thou shalt uh, call upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. You believe that, don't you? You believe that thou shalt, thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart. God has raised him from the dead. Thou, uh, thou shalt be saved. You believe those verses, don't you? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We believe all those. Let's believe this one. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he'll go running. If you want a victorious life. Let me tell you tonight, guys, and I'll watch my time. The three types of Canaanites, the children of God kept in the country. And we can see them as, as sinful character issues in our own life that we bring into our own lives. And we bring it there by one reason, one way, and it's by compromise. There are the sins in our life that we favor, the ones that we just don't want to get rid of. We see that in verse 13 of Joshua 17. Yet it came to pass when the children of Israel waxed and strong, that to put the Canaanites to tribute, and it did not utterly drive them out. When the children of Israel were strong enough to remove the Canaanites, they chose not to do so, but rather sought benefit from them. You know what they sought to do? Tame them. Tame them. Many of you have known the, the issues I dealt with. I mean, I don't hide from it. I ain't going to brag on it because it's wicked and vile. But I remember talking to my dad on the phone at one time. And I said, well, Dad, I'm just going to go and I'm going to be nice to people. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And he says, B, how do you stay out of a bar fight? I said, well, you just be nice to people. And he goes, no, son, you stay out of a bar. See, in my mind, I was going to be nice, kind, not get into, you know, no issues, no this, no that. I wanted to tame the little Canaanites that I had favor for. Dad said, no, you just, you just don't go. You don't go. We've all done this, guys. We want to tame those sins. We've justified lying. We've justified stealing. We've just justified discord. We, we, we've looked at the weight of our own sin in our life and devised plans to benefit from them. That's what Israel did. Those Canaanites, were, they, they were enemies. God said, get them out. They said, now we're strong enough to get them out. But you know what? Well, let's just put the people to work. Let's make them slaves. Let's pull an Egypt on them. You can't tame them, guys. Because you're going to feed them and feed them and feed them. There's a, there's a meme that floats around on the internet of a, of a lion, somebody feeding a lion, and it's called Little Sin. That lion eventually grows up and, well, you know what the rest of the story would be. Does its own thing. Can I say this to you t tonight, guys? Just because your friends or your family does something that's not right, doesn't mean you should. I know it's getting a little touchy, a little personal, a little pokey. I get that. It's called breaking the cycle. What was sin 100 years ago? Still sin today. 
what was sin in the nation of Israel? It's still sin today with us and Carter. So there's those Canaanites, those little sins that we favor. There's those little sins in our life that we fear, that we fear. Verses 15 and 16, our text says, And Joshua answered them, If thou be a great people, then get thee up to the wood country, and cut down for thyself there in the land of the Pezzarites and of the giants. If, if uh, Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee, the children of Joseph uh, uh, and the children of Joseph said, uh, The hill is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both they uh, who are of Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of uh, the valley of Jezreel. See, the people were saying, guys, you know, you're telling us to get rid of our sins, but, but they're saying back to, to Joshua, our sins are too strong. Didn't God just tell us by inspiration that he always causes us to have the victory through Christ? Satan will come in and entice you, and he will terrify you. The devil has, has people convinced in their life that they cannot live in victory, that there is no, and I'm here to tell you tonight that there is no sin in your life that you can't have victory over. None. Not one. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Psalm chapter 31 and verse 24 tells us, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, and all ye that hope in the Lord. Beloved, we have bowed down before sin for often too long. I remember growing up uh, watching Woody Woodpecker. Now, I know this might not even uh, relate to anyone, but I watched Woody Woodpecker, and I remember uh, in a cartoon at the end one time, it seemed to come on all the time, and it said on there that if you can't beat them, join them. And that's what's happened to us. We think we can't defeat the sins in our life, and I'm telling you, guys, we can our world, guys, um, immorality has ran rampant in our world today. The drug culture today is, is, is out of it. We're legalizing things, trying to see if that will, that will fix things, and it's not going to fix them. It's going to resort in more broken homes, more unemployment, more crime, or more road deaths. I mean, they are the highest ever, and we're just letting it go free. Lying, guys, the truth has become something of a relative action today. People don't even think twice about just telling a, a lie. Dr. Adrian Rogers one time was coming back from a meeting that he preached, and we were talking about this this morning, and uh, we all do this sometime or another. But Dr. Adrian Rogers got pulled over by a, by a police officer, a state trooper. He had a, he had a headlamp that was out, right? And, uh, and uh, the officer came up and said, hey, dear sir, he said, uh, you know, um, you got a headlamp out. No, that's a fine. You know, I'd, I'd get a ticket for a headlamp being out. He didn't do it on purpose. But you know what his, you know what his answer was? He says, I got a headlamp out. Now, he just said, he just made a statement. That he, as far as his words go, I have a headlamp out. But the inflection of the words was as if it wasn't even there. The officer walked back, and the Holy Spirit convicted Dr. Adrian Rogers, Pastor Rogers. Convicted, he said, son, you just lied to that guy. Dr. Rogers said, no, 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 no. And, oh, don't you bargain with me. And he came back and. He had to confess to the officer. He said, officer, I'm sorry. I knew I had a headlamp out. I haven't had a time to change it. I'm coming back from a meeting tonight trying to get home to Merritt Island, and uh, I tried to deceive you, and I'm sorry. How many of us, guys, if we come to, and that guy wasn't giving him a ticket. He goes, I'm not going to give you a ticket. Just get it fixed. I wonder how many of us today would bow down to the Holy Spirit in that conviction. There's those sins that we, man, we just, uh, we're afraid of. So there's sins that we fear. 
think this is even worse. There's, there's sins that we fellowship with. Judges, now watch this, but the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. See, there's the, there's the issue. It wasn't that when they got there, they wasn't strong enough. When Israel got there, they could, they chose not to. They simply didn't drive them out. Even when they got stronger later on, they could have driven them out then. They still chose not to. They settled in and they dwelt with them. And before you know it, they learned the ways of these devil-possessed people. And beloved, I'm telling you, we are to witness and we are to testify the greatness of our Lord, and Je Lord Jesus Christ. But we are not to fellowship. When we fellowship with sin, we hold it tenderly and we learn the way of the wicked. And we become an enemy of God. I'm, I'm, I'm watching the, the seed points of my Wednesday night message drop in here tonight. I'm not doing it on purpose. But James in chapter 4 tells us this in verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Again, I say we're not to coddle, to condone, or contribute. Neither are we to conform to sin. Romans in chapter 12 and in verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And again, I'm not, we're running out of time, so I don't want to go uh, in too deep on Romans 12, 2 as it relates to James 4, 4. We're going to get into it Wednesday night. But guys, that word conform means to press. It has the idea of that potter taking that clay and pressing it into a shape that it wants it to be. What Canaanites are in our life tonight? What Canaanites are in our days? What Canaanites are we living with this evening? The Canaanites are there because of compromise. And quickly, and I'll be done here, two, two quick popcorn points. There's Canaanites in our life because of conceit. Because of conceit. In verses 14 and 15, the Bible says, And the children of Joseph spake unto Joshua, saying, Why hast thou given me but one lot and one portion to inherit? See, and I am a great people, for as much as the Lord hath blessed me hitherto. And Joshua answered said, If thou be a great people, then get ye up into wood country and cut down for thyself uh, there in the land of the Pezzarites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. In other words, if, if you're not happy with what you have, go get your own. He said, we're a great people. Beloved, we're living, uh, when we live a compromise in life, we become full of conceit in our days. Israel was full of pride. Uh, they, or the children of Joseph were full of pride. Uh, they had compromised with the Canaanites in their life. And pride will always rob you of the victory that you should have in your life. Again, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says, For I say, uh, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But the children of Israel were failing to do that. And, and guys, they were failing to do what God wanted them to do and who God wanted them to be. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, the Bible says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourself unto the elder. Yea, all you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Guys, our trust cannot be in what we can do but what the lord will do you want victory in your life tonight we're gonna have to be clothed with humility and you know what one thing that i've learned over 27 almost nearly 30 years in the ministry someone who is truly humble they're not going to tell you they're humble 
The, mo- the, 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 the moment someone says, well, you know, I'm humble, they're not. Mark them down. Nope. Sorry. But lastly, beloved, and we need to understand this. If we are going to live a victorious life, one that is without compromise, one that is without conceit, there's something else our life needs to be without, and that's clutter. Clutter. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say this. There's millions of pounds that have been made on television shows on how to get rid of clutter in your home. <laughs> We're not making a penny today on how to teach you to get clutter out of your life. But I'm here, I am going to here to tell you today that if you want victory in your life, there's some clutter that has to be removed. Remember this in verse 16. And the children of Joseph said, the hill is not, uh, is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both they uh, who are of Bet-Shean in her towns and, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. Just to let you know who Bet-Shean, Bet-Shean was one of, the, uh, one of the ten cities of Decapolis that you read about in the New Testament where the maniac of Gadara went and published the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so here's what the children of Joseph are saying. They're saying the hill's not enough. We don't have enough room because we're just a great people. So we see in verses 17 and 18 that Joshua spake unto the house of Joseph, we've already read this, even to Ephraim and Damascus, saying, Thou art a great people, okay, and hast great power. Thou shalt not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine, for it is a wood, and thou shalt cut it down, and the outgoings of it shall be thine, for thou shalt drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots, and though they be strong. In other words, he says, man, go get some trees. If you want more land, clear out the the clutter that's in your land right now, the land you already have. We say, well, look, I want more. You don't necessarily have to have more. Just make more room with the things that you already have. There's some things in our life, guys, that's hindering us from living victoriously. And nine times out of ten, it's it's clutter. This land that we're speaking of here in Joshua 17, it's a picture of our life. And Christians who are not living victoriously, uh, a victorious life, have filled the land with Canaanites. Canaanites they favor, Canaanites they fear, and Canaanites they even fellowship with. Can I say this to you tonight, guys, and we'll be working toward closing here in the next couple of seconds. There's plenty of room in your life. We have plenty of land. We just need to clear out some of the clutter. If you want to live in victory, which I believe in my heart today, Christian and non-Christians alike have a, uh, an innate desire to live in victory. Don't you think that to be true? I don't think everyone has the, uh, the self-assured, self-awareness, self-confidence uh, to be victorious or think they're going to win. I think a lot of people go into to games and sports and all that thinking, well, you know what, just go out there and do the best we can, probably going to lose. But, you know, they do. But they don't desire to lose. People want to win. You want to have a victorious life. I want to have a victorious life. It is natural. Do you want more land? Well, clean out the, the things that are in your life. Trees are good things, guys. But in this case, they were cluttering the land up. You know, if you want to build a building, you're going to have to cut down the trees in order to build the building. And guess what? You can use the trees to build them. Just get rid of some of the clutter. A lot of times it just means we're reprioritizing our life. If you don't have enough time to pray, enough time to read your Bible, guess what? Your life is too cluttered. Your life is too cluttered. I read an article of a young lady who was convicted that she was spending more time exercising than she was reading her Bible and praying in the morning. 
So guess what her solution was? She just quit exercising altogether. Not at all. Not at all. You know what she did? She got up 15 minutes earlier every day to read and study her Bible or to read and to pray, read her Bible and pray. And then when that became a habit, she got up 30 minutes earlier to read and pray before she started exercising. And before you know it, she worked herself up to an hour earlier, little by little step. You know what she was doing? She was decluttering her life. She was making proper decisions in the nighttime to go to bed early, a few minutes earlier here, 10 minutes earlier there, 30 minutes earlier there, and it paid off on the backside. She didn't have to sacrifice what she loved. She just took the clutter out of her life, and then she won the victory. The Lord's given us enough time to do graciously all that we need to do every single day. Take time by cleaning the clutter out. Beloved, you know, we, we need to get alone with God. You know, again, I go back to that Joshua 17, 15, and we're, and we're finished. And Joshua answered them, if thou be a great people, that's the conditional, if you're great, then get thee up to the wood country. Cut down for thyself there in the land of the Pezzarites and of the giants, if Mount Ephraim be too narrow for thee. There are harmless things in our life which clutter up our life. There are harmful things in our life which corrupt our life. First, we must cut the trees down, and then we cut the giants down. So I don't know what's in your life. I don't know what's on the other side of those trees. But I know if you're ever going to have victory over that giant that's in your life, victory over uh, those Canaanites in your life, you're going to have to make some room for God. And the answer is clear, guys. Worship will always come before work. You're not going to work your way to victorious life. And worship will always come before warfare. This is how you set boundaries. This is how you set borders. And this is how you set a bulwark in your life, which enables you and I to live the victorious Christian life. Will you bow your heads tonight? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and time to, to bring your word this evening. And I pray that you would write it upon the table of our hearts, Lord. No matter where we may be in our life this evening, I do pray wholeheartedly that if we need to start cutting some trees down, Lord, I pray we sharpen the axe. Father, I ask you tonight that if you will, take this message and write it upon the hearts of every soul that listens to it in whatever venue it may be, that we may see not only a change in the immediate, Lord, but a change for the long run. Help us, Father, draw closer to you this evening again, and I pray as we depart one another here shortly, that we would not soon forget what we've heard tonight, that we would give thanks, glory, and honor, and praise to our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask these things. Amen.